Welcome to Skinny Santa. I bet you've already learned something uh, already why you put stockings out, right, along the way on Christmas. My name is Randy, and I'm minister here. It's so great to have all of you out to share with us today. It is an awesome day as we begin our, our new series called Skinny Santa. And let me just tell you this. I happen to have three daughters, and I was just thinking when I saw that, I wish I had known that I could ask Santa for the money to get them married, you know, uh, because... To be honest with you, for several years, that, that was one of the areas I learned how to walk in, by faith in, because for several years, I began to think, how in the world, you know, with what it costs to get a daughter married, how in the world am I ever going to be able to do that? And I worried about that, and we gave our daughters a budget, but I mean, multiply that times three, and then I also have a son, and I thought, you know, that kind of stinks to be a son and not have, a, you know, not have any, anything to get married with, so we thought, try to help him. But you know what? God provided through that. Uh, I believe it was a miracle. God provided an opportunity for me to have a little part-time work. And uh, we, uh, for a few years, I painted with some guys in the church. We had a lot of fun, but God provided in that way. And it taught me that we need to learn how to trust God and rely upon God in the hard times of life. And sometimes God's people steps in to help out as well, but, but we need to learn how to trust God. But you know, to be honest with you, for many people, Christmas is not the time of year that they do that. Because Christmas is oftentimes a time of year that we go overboard, especially financially, and sometimes we make some pretty bad decisions about this time of year. The average credit card debt for a recent Christmas was over $1,000 that people went in debt per child. 1000 bucks per child. Now, multiply that however many kids you might have. And it's not like we really intend to do that, to be honest with you. Most people who go in debt uh, over their head at Christmas time. Uh, they do it accidentally. Nobody does that on purpose. Nobody sets out to say, I'm going to really go heavy in debt this year. But the average person will still be praying for Christmas if they charge it in April. And 30% of people are still paying for debt for last year's Christmas, which is not a good thing. Uh, it's one way to have Christmas year-round. You know, just keep paying for it, and it just keeps, uh, it just takes and takes and takes, all right? So that's a little caution and in reality, when it comes to this time of year, for many of us, our wallets are a little bit thin, but that's the only thing that's thin, right? The only thing that's thin about Christmas. For example, our calendars are really, really heavy and fat, aren't they? For most of us, we think we can't do anything between Thanksgiving and Christmas because we have so many commitments coming up on our calendars. We got kid program at schools. We got office parties. We got family activities and get-togethers. Uh, we have uh, shopping trips. We have all these things that just our calendar is just stacked, and it's hard to find any margin in that. Not only that, our waistlines don't get real thin either about this time. Most people assume I'm going to pack on a few pounds around Christmas time, right? And why shouldn't they? Be? When the most visible person for many people is this hairy, uh, heavy man who shows up in a red suit about Thanksgiving, who's almost at almost every party, and who at some point, uh, and one night, will eat about six billion cookies. I mean, think about it. So, uh, so we got a great model for kind of a fat Christmas for most of us. But as you saw a few moments ago, Santa didn't start out being fat. And Christmas didn't start out that way as well. And it's kind of what we've become, what we've made him, and what we've made Christmas in our life. It's been added to over the years and over the years. And so we're going to kind of strip some of that away, and we're going to go back and look at what we're going to call Skinny Santa for the next few weeks here. We're going to be sharing briefly the story about Santa, some of the events in his life, some of the things that he did before he got to the North Pole, while he was still skinny, 
And that while he was known as St. Nicholas or, or just Nicholas there. And what we're going to do, we're going to talk about him before he got to the, the North Pole. So parents, you're going to pick up the story from the North Pole on. We're going to let you have that story and do whatever you want to with it going forward. But we're going to look at his early life before he got there. And, and he was born, obviously, in Europe, uh, in, in Turkey. And uh, in Europe, there are a lot of celebrations of St. Nicholas. In fact, this past Thursday was St. Nicholas Day, and it's celebrated heavily. I wanted to share some of the traditions with you, but as I began to look at them, they just became overwhelming. They're every country, every area has their own little traditions. So let me just say here in the U.S., we call him Santa Claus, right? And we'll let them deal with their traditions over there. But we all know kind of the role that, that Santa plays in our Christmas story. But every week we're going to look at some story, a story or two that Nicholas of Mara gave to the people who, uh, uh, who were in need, the people around them, to show them who Jesus was because he was a, a believer, a follower of Christ. And today we're going to talk about the gift that he gave that we saw a few moments ago, the gift of money, which money is an awesome gift, right? I mean, nobody's going to argue with that. Money always fits. Money, you never have to return it, right? It's just pretty incredible. Nobody's going to complain about getting a gift of money, and they're not going to, you know, you know, put it on a shelf and never wear it or use it, right? And gift cards work pretty well uh, as well as money. But we saw in the video clip that, that Nicholas actually once gave three bags of money to a poor family so the daughters could get married. And probably that's what they call the dowry, you know, and it's also probably where the tradition came from the mother and father of the bride picking up the price of the, the wedding itself. That's probably where that came from uh, back a long time ago. But when you think about the gifts that he gave there, uh, it was a very generous thing. He didn't have to do that. He was, uh, he was wealthy because of his, his uh, parents' wealth that was passed down to him. But, uh, but he gave that because someone was in need. The father was desperate for food, that he was about to let his daughter starve before he sold him into prostitution. Those were the only options he felt like he had. You know, we can't imagine someone living in that type of poverty, can we? I mean, we can't imagine people living like that. In, in, in our world, that is not, that poverty is, is almost unknown. And, and poverty is a whole different thing in our country today. But the reality is, is that many times around the world, people are living in that kind of poverty. They're living in extreme poverty. In fact, uh, One-sixth of the world's population lives on less than a dollar a day, if you can imagine that. And another one-sixth lives on less than $2 per day. So what, less than what it would cost for many of people to buy a cup of Starbucks coffee, people are living on that for the entire day, not just their food, but that's all that they have to survive on. It's estimated there, there are 100 million uh, street children that are homeless Many of them between the age of 5 and 10 that are out on their own. Many of them like this family whose parents simply can't care for them, and so they just kick them out of the house. They live their lives sorting through trash, trying to find recyclables to sell just to get a little bit of bread for that day. Now, while it's hard for us to imagine them, and in our mind, they're not even visible, understand that they are real and that God loves them. In fact, God loves them as much as he loves you and I. Maybe even a little more at times because they're in such desperate need. And those are the kind of children that St. Nick would help out. Isn't it kind of sad sometimes that, that there are millions of children out there who don't even have a home to live in, who do not have a, uh, a mantle to hang a stocking on? And our kids' stockings are usually so packed full of things that they don't even need. And the first gifts that we talked about that kind of were a Christmas, our model of giving or Santa Claus, were not gifts of excess 
They were not gifts that, you know, for spoiled children. They were gifts that were of necessity. Now, before I, I, you start thinking I'm trying to make you feel guilty, I'm not trying to do that. I'm really not. I'm already feeling like I'm making you feel guilty. I'm not trying to do that, to be honest. We have four kids. We gave them Christmas. You know, we, we did that. Uh, we got a granddaughter. We're going to give her Christmas and everything. But, but I begin to ask the question, shouldn't we go a little skinny maybe on our gifts to ourselves so that we can help out some people who are truly in need? who are really in need, the, the kind of need that you and I will probably never see unless we go into another country and experience that. I think in a lot of ways, we've kind of gotten things backward. We're asking, what am I going to get for Christmas? When we ought to be asking the question, what am I going to give for Christmas? What am I going to give to somebody else? Why, why is it all about what I can get when, when I'm so blessed that maybe I ought to be thinking about what to give? And those three gifts that St. Nick gave in the little story remind us of the real story of the first Christmas and three gifts that were brought by the wise men to Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today from our scripture. Now, you might ask the question, we all know there were three gifts, but how many wise men? And you probably heard that debated. I've even heard people give names to these wise men. And the, and the thought is that maybe there were many more wise men that came. Uh, many more, but obviously there, there were three gifts that were brought. But I was just thinking, these were men after all, so some of them probably forgot to bring a gift, you know? They came, they showed up, and they're like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to bring something. You ever been, guys would do that, women probably wouldn't. But so, so there were probably multiple wise men, more than three, but only three gifts showed up, all right? But let's read the story. It's in Matthew chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed. On coming to the home, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, obviously, the gifts that were brought, we meant, uh, that were brought to Jesus, we mentioned were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you, if you've ever heard anybody speak about these, you probably know there was some symbolism in those gifts. For example, the gold was what one would bring to a king. It was the side of a king, the crown of a king would be made of gold, and so gold represented kingship. Jesus was the king of the Jews. The frankincense represented holiness. Frankincense was uh, an incense they would burn in the worship 
uh, of God. And so there was holiness and worship that was a part of that. And then myrrh was a different thing. It was a spice and kind of unusual to bring as a gift, but it represented embalming. It was used to embalm a body that would foretell the death of Jesus Christ. Now, these three gifts that were brought, all of them were very valuable. In fact, in that day, many times fragrances would be something that you might collect for your retirement or as an investment. You would have a bottle of fragrance and, uh, and then you would sell it off slowly because it was very expensive in that day. And you look at these three things, you say, well, it doesn't seem very practical that, that these kings would bring these unusual gifts, kind of luxurious gifts, to give them to a, a poor couple. I mean, what do they need the most? Diapers, right? Diapers. My, uh, my daughter said, Dad, we don't need any clothes. We need diapers. Can you buy diapers for us? Uh, you know, they didn't, even, didn't bring diapers. They brought these things that seemed to be a little impractical for poor peasants living out in, in the middle of nowhere. But the reality is that these gifts had a very practical purpose because even though they weren't practical at the moment for their use, they were practical for their value because more than likely they used these three gifts to finance this trip that we just read about, the one they took to Egypt. You see, Mary and Joseph lived up north of Nazareth. They had to travel to Bethlehem in order to be counted in the census, and there Jesus was born. There's an unexpected uh, trip and expense. You know, travel is expensive, right? And then suddenly they find out, now we have to go further south. We've got to go to another country. I'm sure they'd never been there before. They didn't know anybody there. They had to purchase, uh, you know, um, somewhere to live and food along the way. And so to escape Herod and the death of Jesus, they had to travel out of their comfort zone, out of their home, and obviously live there for a while, maybe for a year or so. We don't know. You know, I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, how very few of the gifts that we give could be considered life-saving to someone. I'm not sure I've ever given a, a gift to a person that might save their life. You know, it's like I, they might use it, they might enjoy it, might benefit from it, but not really life-saving. But can you imagine that you might be able to give a gift to someone that literally could be life-saving at some point, that could make the difference in whether they get the medicine that they need or the food that they need or the education that they might need that would help them be able to have a life and survive and make money down the road. It's important to realize that what we give to others can, should be helpful and practical and needed if possible. Several years ago, one of my favorite memories about Christmas uh, is the year we gave farm animals for Christmas. Now, that sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Uh, in fact, my favorite Christmas as a child was the year I got a pony, a farm animal. So maybe there's a theme running here. But my second favorite memory about farm animals was the year we gave them to other people that we didn't know. There's an organization called World Vision uh, that you can easily connect and, and, and know about. But on their site, you can literally give sheep, cattle, goats, chickens, rabbits, whatever you want to give uh, to, to, to people who are in need around the world. That was a really fun year for us because we would sit down with a catalog. Literally, we had a catalog in hand, and we would, we would shop for animals, and then we would be able to, to send them some money, and they would send these animals to people in other parts of the world that needed them. And a part of me likes to think that even today, there's someone who has a, a sheep or a goat or, I don't know, a next generation or third generation rabbit or something, it's been a few years, that they're still benefiting from, you know? That's making a difference. And even though I'll never know them and they'll never know me, that that, that made a difference in their life. It earned them some money or it fed them for, for something. I love that sort of thing. What if you and your family decided, you know what? 
we're going to forego this one more toy that our child probably doesn't need anyway. We're going to forego that, and we're going to set that money aside, and we're going to give a gift that could be a life-saving gift to somebody in need. We're going to do that this year. And maybe you've never thought about that. I, I don't know that I ever really thought a lot about that. Maybe that would change up some of your traditions. Maybe it would add a great tradition, but maybe, just maybe, it would change somebody's life. Can you imagine a gift that you gave literally that would change someone's life? You know, I'm sure these wise men had never traveled for months to give a gift to a baby. They'd never thought about that. I'm sure they had never done anything like that. It was weird to come and worship a baby, and, and they weren't Jewish, and they didn't even know what this really meant, and, and they were what many people would call scientists, maybe even pagans. But the gift that they gave gave life to Mary and Joseph and the baby. In a practical way, it funded their survival down the road. It maybe purchased medicine if she needed to, to care for Jesus. We don't really know, but it was practical. It made a difference. And what we learn from that is that God can use the most unlikely people, and God may even choose to use you if you're willing to do that. God might use you to help somebody. You may never know specifically who it is, but God could use you in a special way. Can you imagine that God could use you to bring someone um, that you'll never meet medicine or maybe a meal or maybe hope? Uh, the difference between life and death, sickness and health, warmth or cold, home or no home. And did you know that when you do that for someone else, here's the really neat thing. When you do that for someone else, it's like you're doing it for Jesus. That's what's incredible. Let me read the scripture, Matthew chapter 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me and I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and, and go to visit you? And the king will say, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What we do for the least, it's as if we are doing it for Jesus. Could we think about Christmas that way? Wouldn't that kind of change our whole perspective on that? Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't give gifts to one another, all right? So if there are kids in the room and they're already angry at me, I don't want, I don't want to do that um, because we're going to give our, our kids gifts, right? We're going to do that. But what if we just gave a little less? Are we really going to miss that? In our excess, are we really going to miss a little less than what we've done? What, what if we kept a reasonable budget so we didn't have to pay for it all year? What if we just, you know, were moderating in that? And what if we made it a skinny Christmas on gifts so that we could take some of the extra and give it to people who really are in need? And I guess that's kind of what I was excited to tell you about today is because I want to do that, and I want to make a difference, and I want to get to the end after Christmas and after the gifts are all open. I really want us to be able to think, you know, we made a difference in someone else's life, maybe significant difference. And so in this series, we have three challenges for you. The Skinny Santa Challenge, we're asking you to do this. Number one, the first challenge is to share skinny. 
That's pretty simple, all right? The first gift is to share the story of St. Nick with other people. So you can go tomorrow and you can say, hey, I just found out something about Santa Claus that I never knew. And I, I don't I assume you didn't know. I didn't know that. But you can tell your children, if your kids are not in the room, uh, about who Santa Claus was before he got to the North Pole. Uh, you can talk to your friends at work, your neighbors. You can share the story, not just about Santa, but about Jesus, because Nicholas was pointing people to Jesus. That's really what his life was all about. And we'll, we'll hear more about that as we get into the next few weeks here. But invite them to come and to see Jesus himself. The reality is that many people will come to church if you just invite them. So wouldn't it be a great time of year to invite them to come? Invite them to come to hear this series, uh, come on you know, the, the Sunday before, before Christmas if they only come one week. Uh, invite them to come Christmas Eve if, if they only come one time. Whatever may we, uh, we invite you to come. Here, here's my promise to you. We're, we're not going to embarrass you by, uh, by making any controversial statements about Santa, okay? I won't do that. Uh, and we're, we're just going to try to tell you the kind of life he lived and, and how he pointed people to Jesus. Now, if that's a big, uh, too much to ask from people, you can also ask them to check out our Facebook page. The little videos that we uh, showed earlier is going to be on there. And also Facebook Live, our whole service is on, so you can share that with them as well. But the first challenge is just to share skinny. Be intentional to share skinny. What if your sharing Jesus made a difference in someone's, not in their life, but in their eternity? What if it went far beyond just saving their life, but saved their soul because they met Jesus? That's big. Here's the second challenge. I want to challenge you to go skinny. Go skinny on gifts for each other so that you can help other people in need. Now, that scares us to death because if I was a young parent, I would go, I, you know, I don't want my kids. I don't want it to be ruined for my kids. But in reality, let me tell you this. If you give modestly to your kids and then you involve your children in the process and helping others, and if you even say, let's pray for the people that we're going to be giving this to, and you give them something meaningful, your kids will never forgive it. forget it. They will never forget it. It will be something they always remember that you helped them do that. So we're going to be partnering this year with a mission. And uh, the mission is called Lemonade International. Isn't that kind of a cool name? And just a few moments, you're going to hear more about that. But our friend Chow Knox, I've known Chow for many years. And uh, Chow is uh, the, just the recent uh, become a director of, uh, of Inter Lemonade International. I bet there's some cool things you do in the summer with lemonade stands, right? Uh, yeah, I thought so. But uh, Lemonada is a slum in Guatemala that houses thousands of children and families. So there, there is a, a place where people are in desperate need, where poverty is, is the norm, where homelessness and, and hunger are, are normal things. And so he's going to tell you a little bit more about that in a bit. But we're going to give you a skinny stocking, uh, and these are very skinny, uh, as you might see here. We're going to give you one of these, everyone that wants one, at least one for family. Uh, but if you want to take a, one for each of you, you can do that. And uh, what you can do is you can decorate it, you can post it on social media with the hashtag skinny journey if you want to do that. And uh, we're going to ask you just to shave off a little bit of your excess in the process, one last gift or one last time eating out or one last cup of coffee or whatever it might be, kind of stick it inside this little skinny stocking. And, uh, and then on uh, December the 23rd, the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to ask you to just bring it to church and give it as an offering to help Lemonade Ministry and Mission. And Cal will tell you specifically where that's going to go here in just a few moments. So the second challenge is go skinny. The third challenge is this, live skinny. 
This is, it gets a little more difficult as it goes, but, but live skinny. And the idea of this is, this is if you chose to live a little skinnier on an ongoing basis so that you could permanently help a child in need. And there's several ways to do that. Some are very simple and basic here. Others of them, uh, we're going to need some help getting you there. But for example, what if you chose to foster or perhaps even adopt a child? There are 147 million orphans in the world, many of them in the U.S., a couple of, uh, in our church, two couples I know of, Eric and Molly Rice, and then also Sean and Misty Burns uh, are involved in fostering that may even lead to adoption. Maybe you want some more information about that. That would be a great way to help a child and de definitely change their life. Another idea is to volunteer in children's ministry or student ministry, to impact their lives, to guide them, to invest in them. Here at Journey Church, we're always looking for people who, who will serve in those capacities. So make a difference in their life in that way. A third way you can do that is to sponsor a child. And on December the 30th, the child's going to be back again, and he's going to have some actual children that you could sponsor that are in the Lemonade Mission. You can go, uh, you can visit with them at some point. We hope to send a trip down there. So you could sponsor a child and then meet that child somewhere down the road. That would be pretty cool, and I think your, your kids would really like that. So there's some neat opportunities that we're going to give you here. But uh, look, we're going to wrap up for the day. Let me just tell you, as we've been talking about Santa, uh, one of the greatest things about Santa is that almost every kid loves Santa, right? Uh, not all of them. I've seen some kids scream and cry when they sit on his lap, and I've heard of them pee on his leg a time or two. Um, but when they get older, I think they generally will warm up to him. And I think it's because, for most cases, they just feel loved by, by, by Santa themselves. They feel like that, that he cares about them. And let me ask you this, instead of us being super critical, the Santa Claus thing all the time, what if we tried to redeem the best of that tradition? What if we tried to do that? What, what if we, the whole purpose of St. Nick all along was to show kids the love of God? Wouldn't that be a cool way to look at it? That, that's what St. Nicholas was all about in his life. And what if we framed it in that way? Because Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So let's redeem the best that we can and recognize that the original Santa Nick, Saint Nick focused on pointing people and telling people about Jesus. And so this Christmas, let's go skinny a little bit to help those who are without hope experience the hope of Jesus and the knowledge of him. You know, what we're all about as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And when we, we want to do anything and everything we can to help you do that, to point you and to help point others as well to him. And if you'd like to have a conversation about how you take your next step on that journey, we'd love to do so. In a few moments during our communion time, we're going to have a couple of our staff will be up here who will be available to you. If you want someone to pray with you or share with you, they'll be standing off to the side. Please feel free to do that. Will you bow with me as we go to the Lord in a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you uh, for Nick of Myrna. Uh, the guy long ago who, who loved Jesus, he loved you, and, uh, and God, he committed his life to telling other people about who Jesus was and giving them hope and caring for their needs. God, thank you that we can be a part of that, and I pray that you'll guide us in our time together, that Lord, as we share and worship uh, and continue our worship time, that God, you'd be glorified. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen.